Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Today's guest a head coach at UC Davis heading into his 10th season there where he's looking to get the Aggies back to the top of the Big West. Head coach Jim Les. Coach, thanks for joining. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed the last three weeks of the eval periods, getting a chance to see prospects in person. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me. And it, it was really nice to have some sense of normalcy and getting back out on the road and being able to uh, evaluate live play versus just doing it off video and you don't realize how much you miss something until it's taken away from you and just the normal coaching uh, activities that we've grown to to know and maybe despise sometimes when it was taken away from us during the pandemic it, it was it was kind of nice to get back to normal yeah it was nice to get back to normal I coached my son's 15u group in a couple events during that eval period and it was nice to see college coaches uh, like yourself, even though we didn't come across each other, uh, in the gym. Um, what was one takeaway maybe that you experienced this year that you really appreciate about the evaluation process, doing it in person? I know you touched on big picture stuff, but was there one thing that maybe really stuck out to you? Well, I, I think for us, um... You know, it, it's, you know, people say all the time, well, you know, how did he play or how many points did he score? But there's so much to the evaluation that you don't necessarily get off the video. You know, interaction with teammates, interaction with referees, interaction with a coach, um, you know, when they're out of the game and on the bench, how are they reacting to their teammates and supporting their teammates? And, you know, quite frankly, when you get videos, you're always getting the best games or the highlights. Well, we want to see when someone doesn't play their best. Because um, as you and I know, the reality of it is they're, they're not going to be at their best every time. So who is that person when they're not at their best? And um, how do they handle those instances? Because ultimately, that's the person we're going to get and end up coaching. So there's a lot more that goes into the evaluation than just watching someone make a few jump shots or, or watch a few highlight plays. And uh, getting us back out allows us to have the totality of that evaluation. As I mentioned, heading into your 10th season at UC Davis, prior to that, you spent some time at your alma mater, Bradley, as a head coach. Um, explain the differences as a head coach in being at your alma mater versus your current position. Um, I can only imagine you put the same amount of time and effort to being successful, but there's got to be a little bit of a, of a tug being at your, your alma mater. Was, is there or was there a difference in those two jobs? 
I, I don't know if there was a, as much a difference in the jobs per se as there is a difference in in, in you as a head coach as you mature. Um, you know, 19 years of being a head coach, you know, I remember early on and, and I've actually apologized to some of those guys early on because, um, you know, you, like in any position, uh, as you continue to grow in that position, you, you get better and you look back at maybe your first couple of years and go, man, I, I wasn't as good as I thought I was because I wasn't doing this or wasn't doing that. And I think when I look back at the maturity of my coaching, it's less about, hey, you were at Bradley, you were at UC Davis, and more about um, how we handle the position and, and wear the numerous hats. And I think we're so much better now building relationships you know, with these young people that we're trying to mentor. And I think as a young coach, you, you want to be, hey, I want to be the best X and O guy and have the best plays and, and run the best stuff. And, and you get so caught up into that that I skipped the step, I think, really of um, building a relationship and investing in those young people. And that investment on the front end allows those X's and O's. And, and you still have to have that acumen, but you realize the execution of all those X's and O's, offense, defense, is so much better when you're establishing a relationship and communication and trust with these young people. So we spend an inordinate amount of time, and, and I do specifically with my players individually, um, and getting to know them. You know, it's not back in the day, Dan, you know, when, when we played for coaches, it was those coaches were who they were, and you better figure out a way to fit into their style and their personality and the way they ran the program. And, and, and things have changed now, and the best coaches that I know change with the times, and they're adjusting to hey, we've got 15 guys. I can't coach them all the same. In order to meet, for me to get the most out of them, I have to know them personally, intimately, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And in order to do that, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to get them talking. And that's not easy in this day and age because so, kids are so much on their phone and texting and, and uh, there's, there's not as much verbal communication. But we have instances, whether it's team meals or they come into my office, it's put that phone away. And, and let's look each other in the eye and let's talk and let's communicate. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's been the biggest uh, process in my coaching career. You mentioned some old school coaches where it was kind of their way and it was set and, and players had to kind of conform to that. When you look at the path of your own coaching philosophy and, and how you built your foundation, who would you say were the biggest influences for you as you've kind of transitioned from playing to coaching to now being a very established head coach? You know, I, I, I think I've taken so much. I've been blessed that I, I've been around some really, really good basketball people. And I've tried to take a little bit from everybody. You know, uh, look back at you know, my career, I, I wasn't the most talented guy. I wasn't the most athletic guy. So I, I, I felt like I had to have the best basketball IQ and learn the most. And, you know, I couldn't take shortcuts. Uh, some of the guys who are better players, they can get away with shortcuts and still be successful. I couldn't do that. So uh, when I look back, Dick Versace was my college coach and, 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 and he was, you know, unbelievable and went on to coach in the NBA. And uh, I, I played for a guy in the CBA by now, name of Mike Tebow, who's won a WNBA championship and has been, a, you know, I think he, he's the career wins leader. 
Um, and then when I played, it was Jerry Sloan, Dick Mata, Lenny Wilkins, uh, you know, some unbelievable um, basketball minds that I think I draw a little bit from each one of them. And, and I think you could probably relate to this too, is, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to play backup point guard for a year and a half behind John Stockton. And, and I tell John all the time when I bump into him, he kept me in the league for another six years after that because of watching not only how he played and executed the game on the floor, but how he handled his off the floor and his disciplines and what he put in his body and his nutrition and his weight training. Um, that was an unbelievable eye opener and influence for me. So I'm fortunate to have a lot of basketball experiences and try to draw as much as I can from each one of those. And then to me, the next step with my players is being able to navigate um, what they're going through now. And, and, and I always felt like, hey, I can relate because I've been the guy who started, played the most minutes, was the leading scorer. I've also been the guy at the end of the bench who was just a practice player and needed to play that role to the best of its ability and everything that comes in between. And, you know, part of coaching is helping these young people navigate their career and navigate the, the ins and outs of playing college basketball and the demands. And I feel I have some good insight into doing that because I, I went through a lot of the things that they're going through. I like how you put that kind of you've been in a lot of different kind of roles on a team's uh, shoes from starter to relied upon score to end of the bench. I was the same way. And I think that when you have somebody that has those experience, that can talk to different people on your team that helps to build those relationships that you had talked about uh, and to get people to buy in that, you know, what you're talking about. Um, when you, you go back and you think about the early stages of your coaching career, you had a 2006 Bradley team that went to the Sweet 16. Um, give us, give us some, uh, some memories from that run, because I remember watching that team in the Oakland Coliseum because I was out of the NBA that year. Uh, my season was cut short with an injury, and I went down to watch Gonzaga, who, if I'm not mistaken, I, I can't remember if they played before or after, but that was a good doubleheader of games that day. Yeah, it, it really was. They, they played after us against UCLA and, and UCLA, you know, went on and won and, and got to the final four that year. You know, th that team was and, and it's kind of funny, you know, you, everybody looks at the end run of that team in 2006. And, you know, we, we had four um, teams from the Missouri Valley that year go to the tournament, which is for, for a mid-major league was almost unheard of at the time. So it told you the quality of the league and the quality of the basketball we were playing. But I remember a bus ride uh, coming home from Terre Haute and we were probably about 500 and started the league, maybe two and two and three and three. And, you know, as a young coach, again, that was my fourth season as a head coach uh, going, you know, Hey, I'm changing everything. We're changing the offense. We're changing the defense. You know, we're, we're, we're going to restart this thing and try and reinvent the wheel. And I, I had an older established coach on my staff, Chuck Fisher was probably in his sixties at the time. One had been a college coach, had been a high school coach, won championships, coach Sean Livingston when he was in high school. And, you know, he, he just let me vent and go through my half hour of ranting and raving and then says, Jim, we're fine. We're really close. Just stay the course, stay the course. And, uh, to me, that's my biggest reminder of that group and that team is, you know, sometimes we want the results now. 
or maybe there's so much outside pressure or talk or communication that you're you're going man you know i've got I've, i have to do something and sometimes the best uh medicine is to do nothing and stay the course and I, and i think that was an unbelievable um learning situation for me that i've tried to carry forward in terms of you know the ups and downs of a season and tough losses and and not being uh overly reactive because uh, I think sometimes we as coaches uh, can coach ourselves into trouble versus coaching yourselves out of trouble. I, I like a lot of that right there. Coaching yourself into trouble as opposed to coaching out. You got to kind of find that balance of what works with the particular group that you have. How close are you with UC Davis of, of having a special group like that one at, at Bradley that made the Sweet 16? I know you made the NCAA tournament a few years back. Um, you know, Quite frankly, the last couple of years in college basketball is a wash with COVID and everything going on. Um, where do you feel your program is at right now, and what do you need to do to get to the NCAA tournament this upcoming season? Well, I, first of all, you know, this is an unbelievable place. This is the sixth best public school in the country. I think we're the 42nd ranked university in the world. So it's a really elite, world-class uh, academic institution. So one, the demand on our guys is, man, you you got to compete at a high level in the classroom, and 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 we've got to have that um, type of young man who understands what an education, how basketball can open up the doors of getting you this piece of paper, this education that's going to open up doors for the rest of your life. Um, so I, I think that that's a that's a huge component for us, and then uh, it's just you know Northern California, we got to. A five thousand acre beautiful campus, streams, lakes. It's it's just a really cool college town, but you're in the middle of north uh, northern California. So we've got a lot of unique things that um, sell in terms of bringing young people to this campus uh, to be successful. They're highly competitive in the classroom, highly competitive on the floor, and really high character young men that I enjoy being around every day. Um, and we say all the time, we we won three. Big West championships in the last six years. And we say we, we haven't always been the most talented team, but we've always been the most connected, had the best relationship, uh, the best communicators, the, the, the most trust. And I think for us, um, you know, it's a little bit of peaks and valleys because we're, we're, we're not big in the transfer market. We're not big in the, the uh, post-grad market. So we're continuing to bring in young people and develop them. And I think that's what we do best is we're just back in the gym and we do it old school, Dan, and, and we just roll up our sleeves and we work and we, and we bring kids in and we, we, we get them better. We skill development. They, they get stronger in our program. We're, you know, I'm at an elite university, so I have world-renowned nutritionists that I walk across campus that are meeting with our young men. We have kinesiologists who study the movements of our guys to get them the most efficient they can be. So again, it's a little bit of patience, which is not my strength, but I've I've matured into that is, you know, uh, we started two freshmen uh, two years ago. Last year as sophomores, they became all league. Uh, so it's, for us, it's a process of, you know, getting these kids into our program and then working with them and building with them. So um, we've stayed competitive, but now we feel we're, we're kind of on the throes of making another run uh, to be highly successful. Um, 
And uh, so really excited about that, but really more excited about the habits our guys have and, and their daily approach. To me, the, the championships and getting rings and going to the tournament, that, that becomes a byproduct of who we are on a, on a daily basis. And we've got good kids with good character who work extremely hard and are really coachable. And that makes it really fun for our staff. There's kind of two hot button topics in, in college basketball right now. One of them, you just mentioned the transfer portal and grad transfers, and, and you're not too active in that because you kind of take the young player and develop them route um, as opposed to the transfer. But the other hot button topic is the name image likeness. And I agree with it. I believe that, you know, college athletes should have the ability to, to profit off, off their name image and likeness to a certain extent. But there's also a lot of misunderstanding of that the second that opened up, there's deals for everybody. I mean, you're really talking about kind of the one percent uh, in the in college athletics that are going to make something happen in that realm. You know, at at a at a smaller school, at least conference wise in the Big West, as a head coach, what is your thought on it and what's your message to your student athletes? Well, I, I'm with you, Dan. I, I'm all for it. I, I think you know, absolutely, we value the scholarship and the education that comes with it. And we treat our, our guys really well, but um, giving them the ability to, if possible, to generate other sources of income. And, and some of our guys, you know, come from a, a myriad of different backgrounds that have an extra money is, is really big for them. I, I think the jury's out on what it's going to mean, but what I love from our guys, and again, you know, we're getting some really um, smart, intelligent, highly thoughtful young men that are entrepreneurial. And I think they're trying to still figure out ways where they can use their business acumen that they're, that they're growing on this university and in the classroom. And, and how can I use that now? Where in the past there have been all these restrictions on you can't do this, you can't come up with a, a line of clothing because the NCAA isn't going to allow you to profit from it. Now our guys are thinking more along the lines of, hey, there's there's not a line of people walking up to hand them money uh, for who they are and the fact that they play at UC Davis, but it does give them uh, a chance to be highly thoughtful and entrepreneurial. And man, how can I parlay this? and my education to generating some revenue and income. And I think that's going to happen. Well, it's, it sounds like you're being very proactive in, in the message that you're trying to give uh, to your players. I know there's a number of other programs across the country that are doing the same. Um, when you look at the Big West as a league itself, um, you know, I don't think it's a league that's as well known, obviously, on the, on the West Coast as the West Coast Conference, or in particular the Pac-12. But how would you stack the Big West with the WAC, with uh, maybe uh, the Big Sky, and, and then the Mountain West Conference as well. Yeah, you know what? I, I really like our league. And, and I think while we don't maybe get as much media attention, um, uh, you talk to coaches in any of those leagues, in the WCC or the Pac-12 and, and uh, the Mountain West, and they, they have a high regard for our league, the teams in our league, the players in our league. You know, it's a basketball league. Um, and, you know, you, you go down the list of, of 
Irvine and Santa Barbara and Long Beach State and Hawaii. I mean, it's a it's a highly uh, competitive league. We we've added Bakersfield and UC San Diego, so we we're we're in some really good places. You know, up and down California and 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 over in Hawaii, uh, it, it's um, high level of basketball, and we've proven you know that any except for this year where we lost to Santa Barbara, but I want to say the, the the prior three years of which we were in the the tournament, one of those years, uh, the Big West has won a game each of those years. So um, you know, pretty high compliment for this league and we probably don't get the notoriety or national attention, but the people in the know understand that it's, it's high level basketball and some really good players and some really good coaches too. Yeah. UC Irvine's been really good uh, as of late. Uh, UC Santa Barbara, Ja'Cory McLaughlin, he might be hearing his name called tonight in the NBA draft. I think there's a, a, there's a solid opportunity for him to do that. So I would agree, you know, the big West maybe is not as known to the, the average fan, but for the true basketball fan, they know it's a pretty darn good league. Absolutely. You had talked about kind of learning under John Stockton uh, earlier in your NBA career. Who are some of the other guys that when you look back during your playing career that you check into a game, you're like, oh man, I got to guard this guy. Or you left the game, you're sitting in the locker room afterwards and you're like, that guy's just on another level. Give me a couple of examples of those guys. Well, for, for me, you know, in, in the majority of my career, I, I spent in the Western Conference and, and the guards at that time were just the point guards in particular. So it, it comes to mind, Tim Hardaway. And, you know, you, you probably remember those years when Nelly was coaching them. So I always said, you always hated those guys who had that ultra green light, you know, because they could just go at any time. And, and you know, they're, especially Nelly was going to put you on an island. So, you know, Les checks into the game and he's guarding Hardaway. Well, you know, Hardaway's throwing out his shoulder, waving guys out of the way so he can clear out uh, some isolations. So I think he, he was one guy. And, and uh, it's funny because my senior year um, at Bradley, we played UTEP in the first round of the tournament. He was a freshman. So there were, there were paybacks. I, I, I kind of had my way with him when I was a senior and he was just a lonely freshman, but he more than made up for it when I, when I got to the league. And, and then Kevin Johnson was, was also another guy that uh, was really hard to guard. He was so explosive, you know, and, and another guy that would clear a side and had the green light. And then people ask me, well, who's the toughest guy that guarded you? And for me, it was always magic because at six, nine, you know, he, he could back so far off of me where I couldn't get around him yet. He had the size and length where he could affect my shot. So I, I, I really wasn't uh, in favor of playing him or having him guard me. And of course he was guarding me because he wanted to take a few possessions off anyway. Uh, he, he knew I wasn't going to put much pressure on him. So it, it saved his legs a little bit. Some great names you threw around there. I, I loved watching uh, Kevin Johnson and Tim Hardaway as a kid growing up. Uh, but you mentioned the Nelly clear out. I know exactly what you're talking about. My rookie year with the Atlanta Hawks, uh, the Mavericks, who he was coaching at the time, he had uh, as guards, he had Michael Finley, Steve Nash, and Nick Van Exel. I check into the game, and I'm not kidding you. I think it was six or seven straight possessions where they isolated Nick Van Exel against me on the wing. I just was like, <laughs> threw up my hands. I was like, I guess I'm a rookie. I got to learn how to guard it in some way, shape, or form. 
Yeah, he would. He Nelly was famous for putting you on an island, and you better figure it out. You better get figure a way to get some stops out, or you were coming out of the game. So, well, I didn't figure it out because I think I came out of the game pretty quickly after those isolations. But, coach, I appreciate uh, the time. I know you're going to figure out how to make your UC Davis team this year uh, a big time challenger in the Big West. I look forward to hopefully getting a chance to. Uh, call one of your games uh, in the broadcast booth this upcoming year. So thanks again for joining, Coach. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.